everyone. Um, our scripture for today is, I actually forgot the reference. Um, I have it right here. It's in Luke 10. <laughs> uh, where is it? Um, oh, sorry, Luke 9, I mean 10, um, 25 to 37, so sorry. I did actually practice this, but I forgot to write it down. Um, <laughs> welcome. Uh, for those who are inclined um, and able, please stand for the reading of the gospel. Um, on the occasion, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But the expert in the law wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, we have a special guest joining us with you, uh, us today, and I just wanted to let you give him a bit of an introduction. Uh, I first met him a couple months ago when we were on a tour of the African American History Museum, and he was on a tour with a contingent that came from Harrisonburg, and we were standing outside of the of the museum after, and just we're chatting. And I, as I listened to his story, it's like, wow, this is very interesting, and uh, and so. I invited him to participate in the Luke sermon series, and he had said he had a message on uh, Good Samaritan, so I, I planned the whole series so that chapter 10 would land today, and so that he could be with us. Uh, but anyways, uh, he is here on a one-year fellowship at the MCC uh, Washington, D.C. office, just about maybe half a dozen blocks straight towards Pennsylvania Avenue from here. And uh, Anthony's been a student at Bethlehem Bible College, and he is participating in the model UN and is here serving for a year with us. And so I was, he just brings a wonderfully insightful perspective because he's both Palestinian and Honduran and, uh, and bringing a, a perspective to this particular text that we often don't get to hear. So uh, without further ado, let's welcome Anthony and uh, he's here with us. Thanks. 
Hello, everyone. So <laughs> we heard a little bit of Luke 10, 25 to 37. And in this way, we all think of who's my neighbor, who we think who's our enemy. And we always say, yeah, we could love our enemies. It's normal too. It's what God intended to. But what I'm here today is to show you a little bit different perspective of what loving your enemy really is. So now we see how Luke was asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do we think that? He was testing Jesus. He wasn't just asking him like a normal question, but he was testing him. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I get saved? This was a political and theological question during this time, and no one could answer it correctly because everyone had just different feelings about this question. How do we get saved? Is it by our faith or is it by our works? Imagine this, saying, this same question in the 16th century in the Reformation period in Europe. How do I get saved? Is it by my faith or is it by my works? In other words, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Now we must understand that loving your neighbor is loving God, which we even see in Matthew 22:37. 37. Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But there is something weird that we always keep saying. Between every ethnic groups, we say it's always us versus them. There's always one, two sides of every story, and it's always someone is against someone. This leads to rejecting and even dehumanizing the idea, the thought of someone, just from being from a different race, ethnicity, or just for being born on the other side of a wall. But Jesus comes here and tells them a story that communicates truth. Why did the priest and the Levite not stop for the half-dead man? A priest and a Levite looked at him and did not care who he was. But I'm going to tell you why they didn't care. Because they didn't recognize who he was. They didn't recognize his identity. That's when they left him and they were like, okay, I don't want to deal with this. It's a half-dead man. I don't know if he's Jewish, if he's a Levite, if he's a Samaritan. God knows if he was a Samaritan, why would I do? That's why in this verse, they don't specify who the man was. They don't determine his identity. Although it should not matter because he's still a human being. I want to bring a lot of perspective to the stories. Samaritans were not liked whatsoever. They were considered as demon-possessed. Even in John 8:48, it says, Samaritans were demon-possessed. And they were regarded as demon-possessed. Even the disciples themselves wished the world without Samaritans. This is why Jesus, when he said that a Samaritan helped this guy on the street, was like a bomb dropping in front of everyone. Why did a Samaritan out of everyone help this man in the street? A bomb dropped in front of his audience. Why? Because this makes the hero the villain and the evil one the one that shows mercy. Now imagine this story in our view today with all the racial, ethnic, and religious discrimination that we see. A Ukrainian person helping a Russian soldier. Imagine a disliked refugee from Syria or Iraq helping someone in Europe or in the United States. Or imagine a Palestinian helping an Israeli. Now, I want to say a little bit of a story that happened to me and my dad when I was in Palestine. When I first moved to Palestine, I was a little kid that didn't understand anything, not even the language, 
or the culture, traditions, etc. I didn't understand. But I knew one thing that everyone told me is that Israelis hate us for who we are. We should not get close to them because they hate us. They want to see death upon us. But I remember this time, back when my dad was able to travel from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, we were traveling and we were walking. We were driving in his car from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And then there was this one Israeli woman in her car that broke down. We all wondered, should we go help her? Because in Jerusalem, as an occupied territory, cars were passing by and by, and no one would help her. But you know who did? The Palestinian who was in a car, my dad. Went to the side of the road when I was 12 years old. I just remember him walking down, helping this woman out. Who was Israeli? My only thought was, how could you do so? Oh, how could you help someone that hates us, dad? Why did you ever do that? Well, my dad said, and this is something that I always remember. He said, she's a human being. My whole perspective on who is my neighbor and who is my enemy changed in that one moment. Because it did not matter where she was from. Just like we see in the story of Luke 10, 25 to 37. The Levite, the priest, left the half-dead man in the street. And a Samaritan helped him. Israelis were passing by and by on their cars on that road. No one decided to help that woman. But who did? A Palestinian. Someone, as I know more than anyone, I have suffered so much with what is called Israeli occupation. I've had, going into Jerusalem, I've had soldiers put me to the ground and point guns at my heads. Just because of the fact that I'm Palestinian, that I look different than what they do. Not only that, but I always remind myself, God, why? Why should I not hate this person that hates me, that just wants harm to me, harm to my life? And I always wonder, what should I do with it? But at the same time, I remember when Jesus was dying on the cross, he said one verse that still always sticks with me. God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I'm standing here in front of everyone today. God, forgive the Israeli soldiers, the 18-year-olds that don't know what they're doing, that all they think is killing, is killing Palestinians is right. Because that's all they think. The little kids in schools that grow up hating me because I'm Palestinian, because I'm a terrorist, they might say, God forgive them. Another story that I was, we had a Christ at the Checkpoint conference in Palestine. People from all over the world came especially from South Africa and the U.S. As you know, two those are two places is where colonization happens a lot. At the end of the conference, my teachers told me, Anthony, I want you to take the, this one woman from South Africa and this one woman from Hawaii, from oppressed places themselves, who have been colonized and have seen apartheid. He told me, take him to Hebron. And show them the Israeli settlements. Now in Hebron, all you can see is Palestinians living right next to the illegal Israeli settlements that even by the United Nations and international law are fully illegal. And I was showing them around, showing them this is a settlement, the horrible stories that partners in Hebron were saying. They didn't even know what to say. They didn't even know what to expect. The South African woman who has seen apartheid, being from the place where apartheid originated from, 
said this is way worse than South Africa. After we were walking for a while, another time, an Israeli woman in her car. <laughs> she was waiting to pass to her house or to wherever she was going. And there was a gate that was, there was, a gate that was not letting her pass through. Without even thinking, I saw the woman in need. I took the gate and I let her pass. Two seconds later, the two women that were with me start crying. And I asked them, why are you crying? What's wrong? They said, how could you help someone that hates you? My whole life turned upside down in that second when I saw and I just rethunked my dad. The same thing that my dad told me at that one moment when I was 12 years old, I did it subconsciously, not even thinking that I was going to help someone that hates me. Because what if these people found out that I'm Palestinian? Would they still be able to help me? And all the things, the houses they robbed, the tears that have fallen by Palestinians in Hebron, the blood that spilled everywhere in this holy land, yeah, I must say that it's unholy anymore because of occupation. People all around the world are not accepting one another. Whether they're refugees in the US or in Europe, which causes extreme and violent divides between tribal and religious alliances in places like Sri Lanka and India, and not even mentioning the racism and inequality of people with religious backgrounds and even genders. You know what this teaches us? The walls of separation are everywhere, yet they may not be physical. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says that without love, we're nothing. This is why I want you to look at your neighbor right now. Say you love them as yourself. Because it does not matter where you're from. I come from a background that is full of hatred towards my group of people, towards my ethnicity, towards where I am from. Is it hard to love your neighbor? I've seen racism and violence upon my ethnicity growing up. Why would that be though? Am I a terrorist? Or am I a better person? Or was I just born on the other side of this wall? If you guys know what wall theology is, is when describing when there's a good side and a bad side to every wall. It leads to the humanizing. Well, in Palestine, in my own home, I am the bad side of the wall where not only Israel, but all the world thinks that I'm from the bad side of the wall, that I'm a brute with no regard or appreciation to life whatsoever, yet to kill. That's what people think of Palestinians when they think of an Arab. Well, I'm showing you as a Christian Arab Palestinian myself. I'm gonna tell you I'm not a terrorist. But I'm gonna tell you what being Palestinian, Arab, and Christian is truly about. It's about peace, it's about hospitality, and it's about resilience. You want to see resilience? Come to Palestine. You see where resilience is in your own eyes. Go to Jerusalem and see the poor Palestinians that are living in Jerusalem who are being harassed by Israeli soldiers every single day. And you know when you want to see resilience? At 7 a.m. in the morning when kids are going to school, harassed by Israeli soldiers all the time. Putting them to the ground. I started just a couple of months ago what happened was that these two little kids were going to school 
and they felt that there was going to be something wrong because there were a lot of things happening. This little kid wrote a note to his mom and said, if something happens to me, I just want to tell you that I love you. He put it in his pocket and he went to school. But what, what he thought and what he feared that would happen, happened. And this little kid got killed by Israeli soldiers. When they took his body, they took out that pocket note. And they said, Mom, I'm sorry for what I did. I hope you can forgive me. How can you love your neighbor when these things happen? I'm saying from my point of view, I could love my neighbor. But what would happen to the dad who lost his son in that instant? The son that grew up without a father, without a mother, because of being on that other side of a wall. Even when I first arrived in DC, not only in Palestine I see racism and discrimination, but even in DC. When I was going, when I first came into the, to DC from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I was on the bus and people were looking at me like, how do you even speak English? Why do you look, how does it feel that I don't know how to speak English because the way I look? Yes, I'm Arab. Doesn't matter if I speak English or not. And the second time, I was in the bus, finally going to see the capital, see the beautiful amusements that you see here in DC. When I got into this bus, an African-American male came into this bus right next to me, looked at me in the eye. After speaking a lot of gibberish language, he told me that you're gonna blow up the White House and to go back to my country. First two weeks in DC, this happens. An African-American male, which is what surprised me the most, an African-American male who has oppressed himself in this country because people see the color of your skin before they see what's inside of you. Told me that. Who just taught me that people just hate each other unconditionally. When will we love our neighbors as ourselves? When will racism stop? When will we stop treating each other like Samaritans during these times? Because us Palestinians were sick to be Samaritans. We're not able to live a life without racism just because we're born on the other side of this wall. I hope we can all see the walls that we see every day because walls are not physical. I live next to this physical wall. But there's barriers of separation everywhere in this world. But it's our job to dismantle them. Dismantling racism. And taking off all those stereotypes of what people think of what being Palestinian, Arab, Indian, European, Native American, or Latin. People in this time don't hate to see the world. And it is our job to make that better. Thank you so much.